Hello, this is R.J. Deacon reading the Supreme Court of the United States Opinion Syllabus in Kaiser v. Wilkie, certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit, argued March 27, 2019, decided June 26, 2019. Petitioner James Kaiser, a Vietnam War veteran, first sought disability benefits from the Department of Veterans Affairs in 1982 alleging that he had developed post-traumatic stress disorder from his military service. The agency denied his initial request, but in 2006, Kaiser moved to reopen his claim. The VA this time agreed he was eligible for benefits, but it granted those benefits only from the date of his motion to reopen, not, as Kaiser had requested, from the date of his first application. The Board of Veterans' Appeals, a part of the VA, affirmed that retroactivity decision based on its interpretation of an agency rule governing such claims. The Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims affirmed. The Federal Circuit also affirmed, but it did so by applying a doctrine called Our, or sometimes Seminole Rock, deference. See Our versus Robbins or Bowles versus Seminole Rock and Sand Corporation. Under that doctrine, this court has long deferred to an agency's reasonable reading of its own genuinely ambiguous regulations. The Court of Appeals concluded that the VA regulation at issue was ambiguous, and it therefore deferred to the Board's interpretation of the rule. Kaiser now asked the Court to overrule our, as well as its predecessor, Seminole Rock, disregarding or discarding the deference those decisions give to agencies. The Supreme Court held the decision is vacated and remanded. Justice Kagan delivered the opinion of the Court. Our and Seminole Rock are not overruled. This court's deference doctrine is rooted in a presumption that Congress intended for courts to defer to agencies when they interpret their own ambiguous rules. The court adopts that presumption for a set of reasons related to the comparative attributes of courts and agencies in answering interpretive questions. But when the reasons for presumption do not hold up, or when countervailing reasons outweigh them, Courts should not give deference to an agency's reading. The court has thus cabined our scope in varied and critical ways. First and foremost, a court should not afford our deference unless, after exhausting all the traditional tools of construction, Chevron, um, uh, for example, Chevron, the regulation is genuinely ambiguous. A court must carefully consider the text, structure, history, and purpose of a regulation before resorting to deference. If genuine ambiguity remains, the agency's reading must still fall within the bounds of reasonable interpretation. That's Arlington versus FCC. And even then, not every reasonable agency reading of a genuinely ambiguous rule should receive our deference. Rather, a court must make an independent inquiry into whether the character and context of the agency interpretation entitles it to controlling weight. See Christopher versus Smith Klein Beecham Corporation. The inquiry along this dimension does not reduce to an exhaustive test, but the court has laid out some especially important markers for identifying when our deference is and is not appropriate. To begin with, the regulatory interpretation must be the agency's authoritative or official position. 
rather than any more ad hoc statement not reflecting the agency's views. Next, the agency's interpretation must in some way implicate its substantive expertise as the basis for deference ebbs when the subject matter of a dispute is distant from the agency's ordinary duties. Finally, an agency reading of a rule must reflect its fair and considered judgment. That's our. A court should decline to defer, for example, to a merely convenient litigating position. That's Christopher. Or to a new interpretation that creates unfair surprise to regulated parties. That's uh, Long Island Care at Home Limited versus Cook. Coke. Stare decisis cuts strongly against overruling our. Adherence to precedent is a foundation stone of the rule of law. That's Michigan versus Bay Mills Indian community. And any departure from the doctrine demands special justification. See Halliburton versus Erica P. John Fund. That is even more, even more than usually so in the circumstances here. First, Kaiser asked the court to overrule a long line of precedents, each one reaffirming the rest, and going back 75 years or more. That's uh, Bay Mills. Second, because our deference pervades the whole corpus of administrative law, abandoning it would cast doubt on many settled constructions of rules. And third, even if the court is wrong about our, Congress remains free to alter what the court has done. That's uh, Patterson versus McLean Credit Union. For approaching a century, Congress has let this deference regime work side by side with both the Administrative Procedure Act and the many statutes delegating rulemaking power to agencies. This court would thus need a particularly special justification to now reverse our. Kaiser offers nothing of that ilk. Nearly all of his arguments relate to whether the doctrine is wrong or poorly reasoned. He does not claim that our deference is unworkable, a traditional basis for overruling a case, uh, Patterson, or point to challenges in legal rules that make our a doctrinal dinosaur. That's uh, Kimball versus Marvel Entertainment. Instead, his lone special justification is that the administrative state has evolved substantially since this court decided Seminole Rock in 1945. It is true that agencies have far-reaching influence today. That is one reason the court has taken care to reinforce the limits of our deference. But it is no answer to the growth of agencies for courts to take over their expertise-based policymaking functions. Turning to Kaiser's own case, a remand is necessary for two reasons. First, the Federal Circuit jumped the gun in declaring the VA's regulation ambiguous before bringing all its interpretive tools to bear on the question. Second, the Federal Circuit assumed too fast that our deference should apply in the event of genuine ambiguity rather than assessing whether the interpretation is of the sort that Congress would want to receive deference. On remand, the Court of Appeals must reconsider whether our deference is warranted, bearing in mind the principles outlined in this opinion. Justice Kagan, joined by Justice Ginsburg, Justice Breyer, and Justice Sotomayor, concluded in Parts 2A and 3A, 
Our deference is rooted in a presumption that Congress would generally want the agency to play the primary role in resolving regulatory ambiguities. See Martin v. Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission. In part, the presumption arises because the agency that promulgated a rule is in the better position to reconstruct its original meaning. In still greater measure, the presumption stems from an awareness that resolving genuine regulatory ambiguities often entails the exercise of judgment grounded in policy concerns, an area where agencies have a comparative advantage over the courts. See Thomas Jefferson University versus Shalala. Finally, the presumption reflects the well-known benefits of uniformity in interpreting ambigu ambiguous rules. Our deference promotes resolving interpretive issues by uniform administrative decision, rather than piecemeal by litigation. That's Ford Motor Credit versus Milholland. None of Kaiser's arguments provide good reason to reconsider our deference. First, he claims that our is inconsistent with the APA's judicial review provision, which instructs reviewing courts to determine the meaning of an agency action. That's 5 U.S.C. section 706. Even when a court defers to a regulatory reading, however, it acts consistently with section 706. That provision does not specify the standard of review a court should use in determining the meaning of an ambiguous rule. This court thus presumes that Congress would want courts to do so by reviewing agency interpretations for reasonableness. That is essentially so because Section 706, when enacted, was understood to restate the present law of judicial review, which would have included deference under Seminole Rock. Nor does our circumvent the APA's rulemaking requirements, which require regulators to go through notice and comment before they can bind third parties. Even though a court might defer to an agency's interpretation of a regulation, the agency's interpretation itself never forms the basis for an enforcement action. Rather, an agency bringing in enforcement action must always rely on a rule that went through notice and comment, and courts, in turn, always retain the final authority to approve or not. An agency's reading that notice and comment an agency's reading of that notice and comment rule. See Perez versus Mortgage Bankers Association. Kaiser's policy and constitutional arguments failed just as roundly. As a policy matter, he contends that our encourages agencies to issue vague and open-ended regulations, confident that they can later impose whatever interpretation of those rules they prefer. But no real evidence backs up that assertion, and strong incentives cut in the opposite direction. Finally, Kaiser asserts that our deference violates separation of powers principles by vesting both legislative and judicial functions in one branch. If that objection is to agencies usurping the interpretive rule, role of the courts, our, when properly understood and applied, does no such thing. And if the objection is instead to the supposed commingling of functions within an agency, this court has explained that even when an agency activities take legislative and judicial forms, they continue to be exercises of the executive power, and thus raise no constitutional concerns. That's uh, Arlington. Justice Kagan announced the judgment of the court and delivered the opinion of the court with respects to parts 1, 2b, 3b, 
and four, in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Ginsburg, Breyer, and Sotomayor joined. And in opinion with respect to parts 2A and 3A, in which Justice Ginsburg, Breyer, and Sotomayor joined, Chief Justice Roberts filed an opinion concurring in part. Justice Gorsuch filed an opinion concurring in the judgment in which Justice Thomas joined, in which Justice Kavanaugh joined as to parts 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and which Justice Alito joined as to parts 1, 2, and 3. Justice Kavanaugh filed an opinion concurring in the judgment which Justice Alito joined. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get a hold of the podcast, we can be reached at Rhodes Scholar 80 that's R-O-A-D-S and 8-0, or on Twitter at Court Syllabus.